Hey, Merry Christmas. You ever felt full, like full? I mean, we just got off of Thanksgiving, but have you ever felt full like this? I mean, that's like the picture of full, isn't it? Uh, how about this? There's another picture. Oh, always throw a pet up there. You're good. Um, we can feel full. We can see things that are full. Things look full. You got a full moon. You got, uh, ooh, a full donut with cream. Mm. Mm. Uh, we can fill things up, glass of water, right? Go to a car, fill up your car with gas, and it says full. We can uh, even go to a gas station. There's one in Rittman that still offers full service. I mean, when's the last time you've been to a full service gas station? I just... Just saying, it's not just good gas, it's like a better life, apparently, out there. Um, sport teams will bring you in, you can get the full experience. I'm not sure whether people would take him up on it, but uh, you can go to the Browns and get the full experience of losing. No, you can go to the Indians and get more experience losing, I, I imagine. But how about the Cavs, right? You take the full experience of the Cavs right now. But if you really want a good team, you, you probably want to go to this one right here and, and get it all, just uh, hang out because it's, it's just as bad as Cleveland Browns right now. So. But we all know this word, full. Full's complete. Full is full, filled up. Can't get any more, 100%. Um, and we're going to talk about full today, because this story of Christmas has everything to do with this idea of being full. Let me read to you uh, Luke chapter 2. It's a Christmas story, uh, as Luke tells it. Familiar one, I would imagine, to a lot of us. Chapter 2, it says this, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinus was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Let me pray real quick. Lord, we uh, come before you and want to hear from you today. Lord, would these words, the words come alive, this, uh, this story, Lord, the story of you, 
And uh, I pray, God, that uh, we, we walk out of here hearing from you today. Minister to us, Lord. Amen. So what's the, the big deal about full? Well, I remember growing up trying to figure this out. If Jesus is a man and Jesus is God, then is he half man and half God? Because according to percentages, you only can be 100%, right? So you can't be half of something or you can't be 100% of something and 100% of something. And I always was struggling with that. And it's a real question. Is he, is he half man, half God? Is he full God, part man? How, how does this work? 70-20? And uh, this story has everything to do with where you fall out on this. And there are those in world history that would say Jesus was just all man. And even within the church, the church fought that heresy early on and has fought it ever since. No, he's only man. And the church has also fought, no, he was only God, and he never really became a man. It just kind of seemed like it and whatever. Um, and so it's real important. We understand, is he full God? Is he half God? Is he full man, half man? How does this work? So we'll start first with just this whole idea of him being fully man. It's, the story starts off with Luke, who's recording just a history. He's just trying to say, hey, this is how it happened, and he records this scene of a real baby, flesh and blood, born of a woman, one of us, born on this planet. Mom is from this planet, just human. Historians inside and outside the church would say, yes, there is a man who lived named Jesus during this time and did a lot of things that the Bible record. In the church, we would believe, yes, he did all these things. Outside, they would say, yeah, some of these things, miracles, they would say, I don't know about that, but they would say, yeah, Jesus lived. He was a man. He slept, heard, thought, related, all those things. You read that as you go through the Gospels more and more, just seeing, okay, this, he just lived like us. Isaiah 53, about 500 years before Jesus, had a prophecy where it said, hey, look, the, the Messiah is going to come and save the world. And it, it's interesting because it, it hints at this idea that the Messiah is going to be God, but it's all, he's also going to be a man. And so you see up on the screen, it says this, who's believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And, and here we go with the prophecy, for he being Jesus grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of the dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he was born our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief, and when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. This prophecy talks about a man who is experiencing incredible 
things, grief, sorrow, despised, chastised, afflicted, crushed, stricken, all these things. He felt all of these things, and you see through the Gospels, that's exactly what happened. Fully human in every way, 100%. In John, Jesus said, actually, it was him talking, he said, look, I had to learn to obey the Father, not that he ever did it imperfectly, but he learned obedience is what he said. And he has faced moral decisions like each one of us. Hebrews chapter 4 says, uh, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let's hold, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. To be human is to be tempted after the fall. He's gone through temptation, just like you, just like me, and yet did it perfectly, unlike you and unlike me. Fully human. He can sympathize with us, which means right now, if you've ever been through grief or you are grieving, he knows what that feels like. If you've ever felt lonely or abandoned, he knows what you're feeling right now. Because he has felt that. You ever feel weak? Can't go on? He prayed once, Lord, would you take this from me? I don't know how I can do this. And he knows because he was fully human, not halfway completely. Why did he have to become human? Well, this is the part where you get to understand the meaning, or we understand the meaning. You, we, we understand the meaning of Christmas. He's fully human, but why is that important? Uh, I think it, actually, it's interesting. I was watching, um, I was reading something actually this past week about Superman the movie, the one with Russell Crowe that came out recently. And uh, it's interesting on several different levels. Uh, they, were, I was ta- they were interviewing the director, some dude, they, whoever he was, and uh, the director, he asked the director a question, the guy interviewing, he said, did, did you guys intend to have Christian references in this movie? And the director's like, well, of course. He's like, it's throughout the whole movie. And uh, he's like, you take, you take several different things in there, but one of them is you just take the names. Superman's dad's name was Jor-El. Okay, I'm getting all geek, geek on you. I'm sorry about this, but it's like fascinating to me. So if you don't like Superman, I'm sorry. But uh, dad's name was Jor-El. And, and the, uh, the director said, El is the name of God. El Shaddai, Elohim. All those Els, you find those within the Bible. And he's like, yeah, it's a direct reference to those things. And Superman's name was, here's, here, okay, for a little trivia. Do you remember Superman's real name? Cal, uh, hey, a woman, we got some we got it going on here, uh, at least on this side, y'all, y'all can go to the, whatever. Cal-El, Jor-El, Cal-El. Um, and, and, and so you have these kind of inferences as you go through the movie, but one of the fascinating scenes is right when Cal-El, Superman, is born, mom and dad have to send Junior away because the planet's about to break, uh, bust up, right, destroyed, and so they send him off on his little ship, and who goes to Earth? Mom's having second thoughts. And she says, fascinating left, I don't want to send him because he'll be rejected and he'll be mocked. And, uh, 
And then Jor-El steps in and says, well, no, we have to send him, but he will be like a, like a god to them. Which I thought, that is a fascinating quote. But the, the problem Superman had was he wasn't 100% us. And you talk about representation. Superman comes in, but he's not born on our planet, not born with human parents. And he's not a god. He just was born on a planet where it was worked out for him to move here, and it gave him all kinds of superpowers. Um, but he had kryptonite, which would, okay, I'm, I'm off in the deep weeds. I'll just stick with this thing. So here's the thing about Jesus, right? Here's the difference. Jesus comes. He's fully us. And this is important because when it comes to why he came, he needed to be fully us. And this key word representation comes into play. Representing us. In Romans, Paul talks about this. He says, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And this way, death came to all men. And you see that little graphic right there where one man, sin goes to all. He goes on to say later on the chapter, consequently, just as a result of one trespass, which is one man, Adam, was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, representation, you hear it? So also through the obedience of the one man, representing everyone, the many will be made righteous. Now what's wrong with this picture over here when it comes to Christ is it's one man who impacts everybody. He doesn't go through somebody else. You don't need a mediator. The sin of Adam is passed down generationally through all humanity. But Christ, as the representation of the entire human race, can pour out his work individually to each person who's ever lived representation is critical and that's why the bible you go through this and, and it stresses the humanity of christ fully man now it is possible you could say in theoretic in theory could there be a person that lived a perfect life wasn't god but lived a perfect life and then got to the end could they actually be killed or offer their life for somebody else in their, in their place and take the judgment and the punishment of sin and or that person's sin yes in theory that could happen but the problem is they're limited because they're human so it's one person for one person and so it really introduces a dilemma here how then do we save someone if it's all just humans and and that that's it there's no hope because the the judgment for us for sin as paul talks about here is condemnation death and so we all have to pay that penalty, which then requires someone to save us somehow, some way. Christ comes in, lives a sinless, perfect life, completely human. Now, without diminishing his humanity, the Bible also concurrently and simultaneously is teaching Jesus is also fully God. And it's a great mystery. Um, theologians write books about how do you explain this, and uh, I, I don't know fully how to explain it, only to say that the Bible teaches that both are true. Let me set it up. In the, in, when you start at the beginning of the Bible, it says this, in the beginning was, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and, and you even start with just with the first few words, in the beginning God. 
And so the Bible sets up this, this idea and this reality that, that God was pre-existent and that God is the one, the author of life, the source of, source of life, creates life, creates this world. Pre-existent, eternal. So starts there and then goes forward to the time of Moses and God starts to reveal himself to us, to humanity. And Moses asks him, who are you? And God says to him in Exodus, I am that I am. This word I am in the Hebrew is to be. That's what it literally means, to be. Who are you? To be. To exist, literally, is what that means. Which he's saying, I've I'm always been. I've always been. I've always will be. I have been, am, and will forever be. Eternal, unlimited, not bound by time and space. Jump forward 500 years, and God is speaking of his power to hand nations over to men and subdue kings, and he asked us a rhetorical question. Who's performed this things, or these things? Who's performed and done it? Calling the generations from the beginning, and, and and we're just referencing, he's referencing the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and he says, I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last I am he. He comes back to this, I am this, I am first, I am last. And he doesn't share this name and identity with anybody. He makes that really clear in Exodus 20. I won't share this with anyone, and don't try to create anyone who can, because it's impossible. I am. And you find in Israel's history that they actually set aside this claim and this word only for God throughout their history. Fast forward another 500 years and now we're at the life of Christ. And Jesus has been uh, come on the earth and, and John now is this apostle but followed Christ and he writes about this idea of Jesus being God. And, and in his gospel, he goes through great lengths to to prove that Jesus is God. And he starts John chapter 1, 1 with in the beginning, which is a direct reference to, to Genesis and a direct reference to this I am. And he says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was, all, was God. I'm off my notes here. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything that was made or anything, was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light. Of men. So this word he's referring to is Jesus. He's saying Jesus was, is God. Jesus was there in the beginning. Jesus was with God, and he is God. And these kind of titles you don't give to men. You don't. Only God has these kind of titles. And you jump over to chapter 8, and this is where it gets interesting, because he records Jesus starting to reveal himself to the Israelites. And he's, he's with a group of them in the temple, and they're really struggling to believe Jesus and all these things. And a lot of them are against Jesus. And you're, you're sensing that animosity. And he starts to talk about who he is. And he does it cryptically all the way through chapter 8. And it's a long chapter. And then at the end, Jesus finally just says, you, just, you can just see him finally go, okay, that's it. I'm just going to tell it. Tell it like it is. And he says in chapter 8, Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, which is exactly what they want him to say, I'll be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father, now he's accusing them, your father, or saying to them, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He's the Messiah. 
And he saw it and was glad. And so the Jews said to them, You're not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore, the conversation was over. They picked up stones to throw at him. And Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Every Jew in the temple knew exactly what Christ was claiming. I am was only the name reserved for God. See, Jesus, I think this is what's, I, I just, I look at this world and, and I think, have you read, have you read the accounts of Jesus? Because this world wants to say that Jesus wasn't God. But they don't understand history. The reason Jesus was killed was because he claimed to be God. Jesus was crucified not for being a prophet or a good man. He was crucified because he said, I am God. Fully God. Revelations chapter 1 John sees Jesus in a vision. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he, Jesus, placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. And you see this pulling together of still him referencing Isaiah where he's the first and last and this I am and fully God. And Paul sums it up. And this is kind of the uh, inspiration for these these next two messages where he says in Colossians, for in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. Fully God. Completely God. Now I'll ask this, the same question asked about Jesus being man. What's the big deal? Why does Jesus have to be God? And, and it's a crucial question because if he wasn't God, his sacrifice was really only for one other person then. But if he truly was God, the I am, the unlimited, eternal God, his sacrifice could be for all people for all time, prior to him living and after him living. And that's exactly what Paul teaches in Romans chapter 3. His sacrifice was unlimited, his blood unlimited, because he's eternal. Fully God, fully man, Neither part diminished, neither nature diminished. The, the deity of Christ, the fullness of his deity, was it fully expressed on earth? No, he limited it, but it did not in any sense diminish his nature. And that's a crucial distinction. Limiting it, limiting the expression of it, rather, does not, does not therefore mean that the nature itself is diminished. It leaves us with just a question here. Um, Jesus asked this question. I don't know how many different times he asked it, but the Bible records a couple times where he said, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? It's the acid test kind of thing. Fully God, fully man. There were people who didn't know. There were people who walked with him and were uncertain. There were some people who were complete strangers and knew. 
Jesus said this, interesting, as he's talking, this is in that passage, he asks this question right in that long chapter we just referenced. He asks this question, who do you say that I am? And uh, he says this, therefore I say to you that you will die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. And that's way intense. But if you think about the logic of it, it makes sense. What's the most merciful thing that Christ could do? Tell it like it is. So that people would believe. So to kind of just tiptoe around it, what is that? That doesn't help anybody. He just says it like it is. Who do you say that I am? Not sure where you fall out on that, but it's intense, but that's how divisive Christ is, his life is. He won't allow us to just say he's a good man. His life and words push us to answer the question of whether you say he is God. If you believe he's fully God, fully man, you want the full experience on Christmas, I think it would mean to honor him in his name. How do you honor him? The Bible's got all kinds of ideas on how to do it. Um, honor him with praise. Honor him with obedience. Honor him with surrender. I don't know, honor him with confession. Honor him by being light. Honor, I don't know. We're going to spend some time just in his presence, the presence of the one who is fully God, fully man, who calls us to worship him. Invite the team to come up at this point. We'll just move into a time of